morning. Good morning, Cross Point. Good morning, kids. You can be released for Children's Church. And then if the rest of you would turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 16. That's going to be John chapter 16. And as you're turning there, I have two kind of quick uh, announcements, if you will. We are two weeks from beginning our journey through the story of God. This is going to be looking to see Jesus in all of Scripture, beginning in the first book of the Bible of Genesis all the way through the end in Revelation. And so as part of that journey, we have put together the first of four parts um, in this journal that we put together. If you have not yet grabbed this, you'll be able to find that this week at the Connect table um, out front. This has in there just an overview of the series. It has an explanation, an example of what we talked about last week with the road Bible study method and how we're going to be going through this series together, looking at a passage and then studying that. There's a place to to journal. Again, not to scare you off with journaling, but kind of explaining what that is. And then there's also something that we've written up on what is spiritual transformation? Like, we're not just here to pursue information. We're here to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. How does that happen? What does that look like? There's a brief kind of write-up about that. So I would encourage you to pick that up on your way out. There is a suggested donation of $5. If you can't afford that, no, just take one. It's kind of an honor system. You can give that online. That simply helps us cover the, what it cost us to print these. Um, ourselves. And so that just helps us because we'll be making more of these as the series goes. There's also, the story of God is part of a larger thing that we're calling the Emmaus Project from Luke 24. This is a complete side note. When when I created this graphic that hopefully you see on the screen um, for the Emmaus Project, it has like that 70s Florida vibe. I was like, ooh, I like that. I want it on a t-shirt. Then I shared it with someone, and they're like, that would look great on a t-shirt. And I'm like, done. We are going to do a run of these. This isn't just like your cheap t-shirts. Like These are super soft, nice t-shirts, like water-infused ink from a local Florida-based um, printer. So if you're interested, the deadline to order one of those is next Sunday. No pressure whatsoever. This is just because I like t-shirts. Okay. <laughs> is the bottom line. If you want to help with that, great. It goes to the printer after next Sunday, and then you won't be able to get one. So there is a deadline just because of the setup fee and all of that. That's just a complete side note. So today, today, what we've been going through January is kind of preparing for this journey through the story of God. What we're called to as Christians is to be disciples. To, Jesus said to the disciples, follow me. We are called as disciples to follow him. And then we are called to go, and as we go, to make disciples, to go into all the world and to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and to teach them all that Christ has commanded. To do that, what we've been saying is there are three key elements. There's a lot of other aspects, but there's three main things that are needed. The first is God's Word. We need God's special revelation to teach us. This isn't my opinion. This isn't about your opinion. This is about the authoritative Word of God speaking into our lives. As part of this, last week when I was kind of talking through this, I mentioned a book called Why Trust the Bible. 
as another resource. There's pamphlets that I said were coming. They have arrived. If you want one of these, this is just little excerpts from that resource. I just want to let you know it's out there. I would encourage you to pick one up. Um, whether you have questions or people around you have questions, it's helpful to understand that what we say is the Word of God. Why is it trustworthy? And it is. But that was the first element that we've been talking about in this journey of discipleship. The first is God's Word. The second is God's Spirit. The, the journey's counselor, comforter, guide. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. And then next week, we're going to be looking at God's people. He's put us in a community for this journey of discipleship. And so I want us to consider this question this morning. As part of the story of God and what we're going to be walking through, it is to see Jesus in all of Scripture, right? Like many of you are like, hey, I'm excited. I'm excited for that because I feel like there's things that I don't know yet that I want to learn. There's also this reality of the purpose is to equip you to walk with others on this journey. Like there's this expectation that I have that you're going to be praying for three people in your life who are not presently a Christian, who are not presently trusting in and following Jesus, that you're praying for them, that, that you're asking that God would give them a desire to know Christ, that God would open their eyes to see their need, and that you would, in caring for them, also invite them, like, Ken, would you be willing to walk with me in this journey to see the story of God, to walk through all of Scripture? Now, for many, there's this excitement of what we're going to learn, and then there's this fear that comes up of like, I don't know how I feel about that aspect. <laughs> of what's the expectation. Because there's kind of two sides to it. One, how are people going to respond? Is there going to be this external resistance? Like, are, are, are they not going to be my friend anymore? Are they going to make fun of me? Like, how are they going to respond? So there's this external fear. And then there's also this internal fear. Like, you expect me to sit down with somebody else, open up the Bible, and help walk them through the Bible to see Jesus in all of Scripture. Like, is that what I'm hearing you say? Like, yes. And then there's this internal fear, like, I don't know if I can do that. Like, I don't know if I understand. Like, I stumble over my words. What, what am I going to say? What if they have a question I can't answer? And then there's this internal fear that can come up. Today's passage is speaking to those two fears. What is our role in the journey of being and making disciples? And what is the role of the Holy Spirit in this journey? That's what we're going to see this morning in John 16. And so if you will, let's pray together. And then we're going to begin in the first verse of chapter 16. Lord, I thank you for this time that we have together. And Lord, I ask that as we open your word, Lord, your word says that we can't understand just on our own. We need the, the spirit of God to Help us discern and understand your word. And so, Lord, we come in dependence this morning, recognizing our own weakness, my own weakness, even in communicating that my words alone are without power. But, Lord, your word has the power to, to transform. You, 
your word has the, the power to renew life. And so, Lord, as we study your word, as we seek to proclaim boldly, would you allow your spirit to, to move to do your work, to convict, to encourage, to give us understanding and confidence and courage to walk in obedience to your word? And Lord, we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So John 16, let's begin in, in verse 1. I'm going to kind of walk through this verse by verse this morning. So it says, I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. Now, if you're reading this and you just jumped in right here, that should raise a question, right? What are these things? What have you told us that's supposed to keep us from stumbling? We don't know what those things are. It's like you've walked up and a conversation's been happening and you've just walked up in the middle of it. Here's the thing that happened to me this week. There is a lot that has been said, and I would encourage you this week to read chapters 14, 15, and 16 as a whole all together. This is a single thought, and we are jumping in in the midst of it. It's so much that when I initially did this, I, I wrote today's sermon, and by Friday morning, I looked at that sermon and was like, I haven't even gotten to the main point, and I'm already over time. So I had to scrap the whole thing. I started with a blank piece of paper on Friday, and I rewrote the entire sermon. Because there's so much here, and I just don't have time to cover it all. And so I'm asking, read 14, 15, and 16 together. There are things that you'll read that you're like, oh, I've heard that. Like, oh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the light. But there's a context of why he says that. We hear in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. But that's a context. 14, 15, and 16 are all about Jesus preparing the disciples for his departure in the arrival and purpose of the Holy Spirit in their life. We're going to be focusing on the first 15 verses of 16, or I would be here all day and I still wouldn't do it justice. So definitely take the time to read that. So look then with me at verses 2 through 4, and I want you to understand the external resistance that we feel. How are others going to respond? And to see the external resistance that Jesus says the disciples will face. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. I've told you these things so that when their, their time comes, you'll remember that I told you. So he's basically like, look, a time's coming when you are going to suffer. They're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. It said in the previous chapter, and while you're dying, you're going to remember, oh yeah, Jesus says this was going to happen. That's what he's saying. They're going to kick you out of the synagogues. They'll kill you. And they're going to say, hey, they're doing the right thing. Globally, 13 Christians died every day last year. 13 Christians were martyred every single day if you spread out the total number globally. This fact has not changed. They'll hate you, they'll persecute you, it said in chapter 15. And when we consider taking the gospel to all peoples, the cost of global missions and discipleship has not changed. 
the cost of global missions and discipleship has not changed. Jesus is not sugarcoating this. Easy and victorious are not synonyms. Christ is victorious. In the way that the gospel was proclaimed through Christ and the way that it is proclaimed through the believer to the world is through suffering. This is a reality. And then Jesus goes on. So at first you're like, well, that doesn't really help me with my fear very much, does it? <laughs> like external resistance. I thought this was going to be encouraging and like why we can go into all the world. And that's not initially what comes to mind. It's like, no, it's actually going to be harder than we think. But then in verse 5, or as it continues in 4, but I have told you these things so that when the time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going away to him who sent me. And not only, uh, and not one of you ask me, where am I going? Yet, because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So you see this external resistance that Jesus says is here. Now he's acknowledging, look at the internal fear. Look at the, the, the sorrow that has consumed them. Jesus has keeps saying, and you'll see it again and again and again. If you read 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is like, look, I'm going away. Look, I'm not always going to be here to, to talk with you face to face. I'm going to go to the Father and you're going to be here. I'm not going to talk with you much longer. I've told you, I'm going away. And then he's like, but nobody's asked me where I'm going. Where am I going? Nobody has worried about that because they're so consumed that the world around them is falling apart. Like if you put these verses in context, you have to imagine they've walked with Jesus for three and a half years now. This is the culmination, the climax of what they've been anticipating. They have traveled from, from the north in Galilee all the way to Jerusalem. This is where Jesus is going to take his, his rightful throne and reign and displace the Roman Empire and, and be king of the Jews, right? Like they're vying for a place in his kingdom. And now in a night, everything has fallen apart. Like they just had dinner together and, and then Judas is going to betray Jesus. They can't even imagine what this means. But Judas left the dinner off to, to betray Jesus. Peter, Peter, like the rock. They said, Jesus said that Peter's going to deny Jesus three times. What's happening? And now Jesus is saying that he's going to go away. Everything around them, everything they thought that was going to happen is falling apart. And now Jesus is like, you're going to go into the world and they're going to hate you. And if they hated me, of course, they're going to hate you. Why would you expect anything different? But go. And there's this external resistance. There's this internal fear before Jesus continues. I, I want to connect the disciples' experience, their reality, with our own. Theirs is to a much higher magnitude. But at this moment, can you imagine the heart and mind of the disciples? When they've been following Jesus, they've seen everything he's done, and now they're getting ready to go out into the world 
and, and they're being told everybody's going to resist, everybody's going to hate you. They're filled with fear. They don't understand what's happening. I want us to kind of feel that moment so that we can hear what Jesus is about to say, so that we can feel the weight of what Jesus promises and what our reality is, because so often our feelings do not represent what is real. And the disciples are hearing defeat. They're hearing loss, that everything's falling apart, and that is not the reality. And Jesus is going to help them say, this is what's true. This is what you see. It's not going to be easy. But let me tell you what's real. In verse 7, nevertheless, do you hear it? This change? There's this shift that, that happens. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, regardless of, uh, of this external resistance that you're going to face, regardless of the sorrow that you, you feel and, and the fear that you receive, nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. Look, this is true. It is for your benefit that I go away. If I do not go away, the counselor will not come to you. And if I go, I will send him to you. Do we believe what Jesus is saying? He's like, nevertheless, listen, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth that the best thing that I can do for you right now is leave. And the disciples cannot fathom a world where that is true. Do we believe that it's better that Christ is not physically on earth today, that that is for the benefit of the believer today. Like, what if Jesus had chosen to stay? What if he stayed here on earth after he rose from the dead? Why is it better that he ascended to heaven? Because he said, for the challenge that we, we face externally and internally, it's better that he left. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It's for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. This counselor, sometimes called helper in some translations, depending on what you're looking at. Helper, comforter. It's translated in different ways, but in Greek, it, it is paraclete. This definition of one called to the side of another. This isn't just a, a spiritual force that, that Jesus is saying, hey, look, when I ascend to heaven, you're going to have this spiritual force like Star Wars. May the force be with you, right? That, that you're going to go out into the world. No, it's the person, the person of the Holy Spirit. It's not a magical power. This isn't mysticism. This is a unique personhood that is not God the Father, and it is not the Son, Jesus Christ, and yet has the same divine essence, God of very God, one God who eternally exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That statement could be a sermon series in itself, but we're going to keep going. What I want you to hear and take with you 
is the personhood of the Holy Spirit. And that according to God's design, until Jesus ascended, he would not send the Holy Spirit to earth. So I want you to imagine for a moment, what if Jesus had stayed? Because we might think, wouldn't that be to our benefit? Like, I kind of have some questions that I would like to ask, right? But, but Jesus, when, when he chose the eternal God to be clothed in humanity, he allowed himself to be limited by space and time, meaning he would be in one place at one time. So you want to talk to Jesus? Well, then you have to go fly to where he is. And then you have to stand in line with millions, billions of other people. It's like, I'm going to call the Jesus hotline, but I'm 2,868,923 in line. I'm going to be on hold for the next five years, but then your pen runs out of ink. And you're like, wait, what did he say? And you go to call back and you have another five-year wait. Like, oh, you have a question? You have a need? You don't understand something? What did you mean when you said that? I forgot what you said here. And now you have to go travel. Every Christian, every place would have had to do this. But with the Holy Spirit, that's not the case. John 14, it says that I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor, paraclete, who will be with you forever. He goes on to say that not only will this spirit of truth, he remains with you and will be in you. In you. The Bible teaches that every Christian receives the person of the Holy Spirit living inside them at the moment they trust in Jesus Christ. At the moment that you profess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is who he says he is, God of God in very flesh, having died on the cross, buried for three days, and rose again for the forgiveness of my sins, you are sealed permanently by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is beside you, he is with you, he is in you forever. This is the teaching of God's Word. That if you belong to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 9. When you believed in Jesus, your salvation was secured by the promised Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13. In John 14, it says, but the counselor, the, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything I have told you. You want to talk to God? Talk. No travel. No, I have to go to this specific place and, and wait in line or call a helpline. You want to communicate with God? Speak. He's with you, in you, beside you, your counselor. You need to be reminded of something Jesus says. He's there to whisper it in your ear so you can hear his word to be reminded. You're reading God's word and you're like, I don't understand. He teaches us. He helps us understand. It's like, God, I don't understand this. Can you give me understanding? And in that moment, wherever you are, for every single Christian across the globe, this is now the reality. Does it make sense? Why it's now for, for your benefit that Jesus ascended. I would love and I cannot wait to see the face of Christ in glory. 
But oh, how thankful I am today that I know that God is present wherever I am and wherever I go, and that that same thing is true for each and every one of you. Like, that's an amazing, amazing truth. And in the following verses, we see that what the Holy Spirit does. I want us to see that now as, as we imagine, okay, so here we are, here's the reality for the disciples, right? And now they're going to go into this world that's resistant, who's going to persecute them and, and kill them and say that they're doing God's work when they do so. So why can we go out into the world with confidence? Look at what it says in verse 8. When he comes, being the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. These three things. Like, are you worried about, well, this person's really resistant to the gospel right now. How are they going to respond? This is what it's saying God's Spirit is going to do within the world. It says he's going to convict the world. I, I want you to imagine the, the scene that plays out in my mind when you look at how you would define this out of the original language. Is imagine one of our like TV court dramas right? And a person's on the stand and it's a bad witness. Like they're on the witness stand, but they're trying to thwart justice and everybody knows that this is happening, but they're up on the stand and then the cross-examination happens, right? And the questions begin coming and all of a sudden they're stumbling over their words and the truth is coming out. Like you can't handle the truth, but then the truth comes out and here it is. And all of a sudden, everybody in the courtroom sees it. It's like a spotlight just got shown. And the juror see it, and the judge sees it, and the witness sees it. And here it is, laid bare. That's the imagery of what the word conviction means. But we're the ones on the witness stand. The cross-examination with the purpose of convincing or refuting an opponent. That's the dictionary of the Greek word. The Holy Spirit then convicts in three areas. What is the cross-examination exposing? The first is about sin. When it says in verse 9, about sin, because they do not believe in me. Out of all the sin we see in the world, all the things that we could point at in watching the news of Here's sin and their sin. I mean, what about lust? What about gluttony? What about laziness or pride or anger or greed or, or slander or drunkenness? Like there's all these things that the Holy Spirit could convict the world of in the sin that Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of is that they do not believe in Christ. That is the most important that's where it begins. The focus is not believing in Christ. One commentary I read said that the Holy Spirit brings the guilt of sin home to the human consciousness so that men and women will seek relief through the mercy of God. It's exposing, it's cross-examining to say, here's our sin of unbelief. That if you sense sin 
in your life, especially sin against Jesus Christ. Not just, oh, I need to do better, I need to be a better person. But I've sinned against a holy God. This is evidence of the Holy Spirit's work. We can't do this in our own life. You can't do this in the life of someone else. You can't convict them of sin. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. The gospel by nature is confrontation. It will be a stumbling block for some. It will seem like folly to others. And to those who turn to the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, it is salvation. That's our hope. And that conviction of belief and unbelief ultimately happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. It continues. Then saying about sin and about righteousness, convicting about sin and righteousness in verse 10, and about righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. God cross-examines our righteousness, that we tend to see righteousness on a scale, zero to a hundred. And in, in, in an evil convict, maybe they're 20% good, like they still love their mom, but they seem to hate everybody else. So they're like 20% good, but 80% bad. Then you have some people, they're 50-50 and most, like we're like 60-70% good and we got some bad and it's like, we're kind of hoping God maybe judges on a scale and and maybe the top 40% get into heaven? Like, where is that? But righteousness is relative. We compare it to others. Goodness. Is it good enough? But the Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness because Jesus says in Matthew 5, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. You want to know the standard? There is no curve. There is only absolutely always good. Or there is not. And so we get this cross-examination from the Holy Spirit of our claims of righteousness. Is it good enough? Even the good things I do, why did I do them? Did I really do them for the good of the other person, or or did I kind of do it because I want them to think I'm a good person? It's actually more about what you think of me (laughs) than actually for them. So even my what I said was good was done selfishly. And then under cross-examination, conviction hits, and we realize my good isn't good enough, and even what I thought was good wasn't even good. And then all we can do is repent and believe on Christ. Conviction of judgment in 1611 and about judgment, about the conviction of judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. The Holy Spirit convinces the world there is such a thing as judgment. It is destined for man once to die and then face the judgment. There is something coming. There is a judgment coming. And so often we want to live as if one, we're never going to die. And then you get to a certain age and then it's like, well, that might come up sooner than I realized. And then you realize I'm going to have to give an account for everything. This is a work of the Holy Spirit within the world to realize what sin is and not believing in Christ. To realize that what we called good actually isn't good. To realize that I'm going to have to give an account. And my only hope 
is in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so here's why that should give us confidence. As we go out into the world that's going to resist at times the the gospel of Jesus Christ, I absolutely love this verse in Acts 4. This is what I find myself praying often. Wherever we go in the world, in here for us, in Acts 4, Peter and John had been arrested. They've been questioned. There's persecution coming. They they get released. They go back to the disciples and, and they share with them what's happened. And this is their prayer. And now, Lord, consider their threats. Consider everything that it says, the opposition from the outside world, the resistance that we'll face, the persecution, the hatreds, the kicking out of the synagogues, the the death threats. Consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is my prayer. Our role in discipleship as we go out into the world is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with boldness, not shrinking away, not in fear, but in victory that the one who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And so I speak with all boldness because power and victory is in the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, would you move? Would your spirit move? Would you convict of sin? Would you convict of people's perceived righteousness? Would you convict of judgment? Lord, would you heal? Would you perform miracles? Would you do the things that I cannot do? But Lord, what I can do is proclaim boldly by faith in Christ, working through me with the Holy Spirit by my side, help us to be bold in the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Like that's my prayer for us. When we think about going out, what is the world? Why should we fear the world? They can kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. They can't kill the spirit. What's of greater value? Christ or 80 years on this earth? Like there is a cost, yes, but it is insignificant to the magnitude of the hope we have in the gospel. And so we can go into the world knowing there'll be resistance with hope and courage and boldness without fear. And then the Holy Spirit and the Christian, because it's not just what God is doing in the world around us, but look at what he is doing in us. What about my own ability? Like, I don't doubt God, but I doubt myself. I don't know. Can I do this? Can I speak? I have no doubt that God can do what he can do. But look at what it continues to say in verse 12. I still have many things to tell you. I love that. (laughs) Like, just can you imagine hearing that? Like, now, if I'm like, everything we know about God, and I just felt like it was like this word, like, I still have more to show you. Has my brain really comprehended the full magnitude and majesty of, 
of God. No! My finite brain and intelligence has barely scratched the surface. There is more. There is more to know. There's more to see. There's more that he wants to to show us. And it's like, yes, I want to know him more. I want to see him in, in, in his fullness. I desire and long for that. And the Spirit is the one who opens our eyes to see that through God's Word. This is what it says in in 1 Corinthians 2, and I mentioned this last week. The person without the Spirit can't understand the words that come from the Spirit. But because we have the Spirit of God, because when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you, with you. When we come and we're like, there's questions, I don't understand something. Would you help me understand? The Spirit of God is there to help us understand and know what it is that Christ is revealing to us about himself. Are you concerned about, I don't have understanding. You know more about the Bible than I know. If you lack understanding, ask. The Holy Spirit is with you. You don't have to know everything. So long as you know the main thing. Christ in him crucified, risen. That is sufficient to salvation. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. He'll guide you in what you need. We cannot go into the world. We do not have the power in and of ourselves to make disciples. We in ourselves cannot teach people to obey all that God has commanded, except, except by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can go into all the world. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can know His Word. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we will see disciples made. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we will see people learning to walk in obedience to the commands of Jesus. Not by our own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the Helper, the Spirit of Truth. In the Holy Spirit, it says, He will glorify, in verse 14, He will glorify me, speaking of Jesus, because He will take from what is mine and declare it to you, everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that He takes from what is mine and He will declare it to you. Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to the Father. I'm leaving the Holy Spirit with you. He's going to empower you to proclaim the gospel to all peoples. He's going to be with you. He's going to empower you. This is why as we begin this journey and as we think of what's in store for us and what's in store as we are sent out as a people to all peoples, it is absolutely essential that we hold on to God's word and God's spirit. We cannot do this on our own. It is an impossible task left to ourselves. But in Christ, by the power of his spirit, there is no fear. How will the world respond? It doesn't matter. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. The Holy Spirit 
will convict and draw people to himself. You don't know what to say? God will give you the words when you need them. It says, don't worry about what you'll say. When the time comes, the Holy Spirit will give you the words and they'll be from him. But what about my background? What about my lack of understanding? The Holy Spirit will teach you that the Bible seems confusing. The Holy Spirit will give you understanding. I don't know what to say. I get tongue-tucked. Doesn't matter. God's going to give you the words when you need it. We are called to walk in obedience, to proclaim boldly while His Spirit moves. So let us not look to ourselves. Let us not look to our own abilities. Let us not look to the world and have our hearts filled with fear. Let us not look to ourselves and see our own insufficiency, but let us look to God who is sovereign. Let us look to Christ who is victorious and let us look to the Holy Spirit who is present and powerful with us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this promise. Lord, that even at first hearing, it must have been so hard for the disciples to hear that it was for their benefit that you went away, not even being able to understand the reality of the work that you were about to do in the world for the glory of Christ, empowering your disciples to be and to make disciples. And Lord, I pray that in our own hearts, Lord, allow us to be aware that this is not some just mystical unknown. But Lord, the truth of your word is that the person of the Holy Spirit is with us and in us. Lord, as each of us goes about our week this week in different places at different times and different needs, Lord, that as our heart aches, and as our words speak and pray, you are present. You hear us. You speak to us. Lord, you help us understand your word. Lord, help us not to just try to be obedient in our own strength, but Lord, I pray that in this coming year, you give us a deepening understanding of what it means to walk in the Spirit, to depend on you to speak, to step out in faith, trusting that you will give us what we need when we need it. Lord, let us be a people of faith that proclaims boldly as we wait on you to move. And Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.